0: Welcome back to another episode of the Cedarville Stories Podcast. I am Mark Weinstein, your host, and today I'm going back into the archives to hear one of the most popular podcasts in our history, that being the story of the leading political media expert in Ohio, Dr. Mark Caleb Smith. Thanks for listening to the program, and be sure to subscribe to the Cedarville Stories Podcast so you won't miss a single episode. Now here's my conversation with Dr. Mark Caleb Smith. How long have you been doing media interviews?
1: Uh, my first media interview is actually when I was a visiting professor at Tulane University. Okay. Before I was, got to Cedarville. Okay. And you came to Cedarville how many years ago? 2004, I think, was my first fall at Cedarville. Okay. Yeah. So it's been a while. So you've probably increased in your media exposure since you've come to Cedarville then.
0: <laughs> it's, it's been all downhill <laughs> since I came to Cedarville. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You know, for the, for the record, you know, we, we did a story on this before. Uh, I yeah. think last year we did a story that since you've been at Cedarville, you have done more than 1,000 media interviews. That's correct. And yeah. actually in, in 2016 alone you did 295.
1: Yeah, and I think you were upset with me that I didn't get to 300 that year. Isn't that I, right? I, I was. <laughs> I mean, yeah. we had a month to go. We did. And we only yeah. had five to go, interviews to
0: go. And you said, I'm done. Yeah, I didn't understand <laughs> that.
1: Three hundred's <laughs> just a number, right? It's not like hitting four hundred in baseball or something. It's just the way it goes. No, it's exactly like hitting no, four hundred in it's baseball. Not. No, it's really not. No, it was fine. I didn't mind it. So you minded it, obviously. I did not mind it at all. I, I did mind it. It
0: was okay. I thought two ninety five was pretty good. I'll take that.
1: <laughs> That's what'll i say in my tombstone. He was pretty good. I can live with that. You are yeah. pretty good. Yeah.
0: So. Now you're the chair of the Department of History and Government, and then you also, <clears throat> on the side, do a lot of media interviews. And, and all joking aside, you do a lot. Right. Um, you probably average about 175 interviews a year. With the presidential election that we're coming up to, uh, it'll it'll grow mm-hmm. uh, because people you have a reputation, people want to talk to you. Right. How do you stay aware in tune educated of what's going on in the world so that you can uh, communicate uh, wisely and intelligently
1: Well I mean you know you're assuming with those last couple of words that it's wise and intelligent so if we give that assumption um, <laughs> yeah now I do I probably spend one anywhere between one and three hours a day reading news. But once I started, started to do a good bit of media, then really if you're not constantly aware of what's happening, then you just can't do an interview at the drop of a hat. Right. And so I mean, as you know, sometimes it's, hey, somebody's on campus and you have five minutes to come and talk to them. So, Yeah, there are times when— It's rare, but that does happen. Oh, it's, it's, it's
0: um, at one point it was, it was more, more common. It's probably changed a little bit now that
1: uh, we have a newsroom on campus. How has the newsroom uh, helped you um, in your work with media? Uh, I mean, it certainly makes life a little bit easier. Don't have to travel as much to Dayton. You know, most of the media that we do is still in the Dayton market. And if you're going to do Dayton television, then you're going 30, 45 minutes away from campus if you're driving there all the time. And uh, that's, it it isn't a big deal for people who commute, you know, who live in places like New York city or whatever, but I'd rather not spend all that time in the car if I can help it. And so uh, it saves a good bit of time. But I think there's a cost as well. I mean, you don't get to talk to the people face-to-face always. You don't. Mm-hmm. It's harder to do an interview in that setting, I think, than it is face-to-face because you can read body language. It's hard to read it's, that camera, isn't it? It is. It's hard It's hard to get used to talking just to a camera without seeing somebody there. Right. So that's right. not natural. So
0: a little bit ago, we talked about um, the number of interviews that you have done or typically do in a, in a year, academic year. Um, back to 2016, that was the year you did 295. 41 of those came from Cleveland when you were embedded in the GOP uh, convention, right? Presidential convention, right? What was that experience
1: like for you? Uh, I mean, it was a it was an interesting professional experience. And it was also an interesting personal experience. So, let me talk about each one of those momentarily. Sure. I mean, sure. the professional part of it. As a political scientist, you know going to a convention is is interesting. I've never been to a convention before. Um, I'm not active in party politics, and so I've never been to a convention as a delegate or anything like that. My family wasn't active in party politics, so they weren't in, involved in those kinds of things either. So it was good to see. It was good to witness it firsthand. To talk to people, to talk to delegates, to talk to journalists and other people who are covering it. it was obviously a lot of fun. Um, But as a media person there, you're always collecting information, you're always developing your impressions of what's happening, you're trying to keep track of things, you're blogging, you're doing social media, and then you're getting ready for interviews. And so it was a pretty hectic, what'd you say, 41 interviews? 41. It was pretty hectic. That was a pretty hectic week. Right. Um, It was a lot. And it was essentially from morning until night, because I was doing a radio show in the morning, with WHIO, and then usually a five PM uh, Dayton TV thing, right. and then something in the evening also as well. So it was a it was a long time. It was pretty strenuous. Uh, personally, it was a traumatic week because I've grown up sort of a conservative, mm. kind of Republican person. Right. Again, I'm not active in party politics. I don't endorse anything or anything like that. But it was a it was a divisive time for the party. And so of all the conventions to go to, that was probably the hardest to watch, okay. at least for me.
0: Is this kind of, that kind of event for you, is that kind of like a Super Bowl kind of moment?
1: Uh, probably that's a good, that's a good comparison. I mean, if you have a, it's a little different in this way. If it's a Super Bowl moment, if you have a team that you're really engaged with and connected to, then it's agonizing and it's personal. If I go to the Democratic convention, it'll be interesting to watch. It'll be fun to watch. It'll be history to watch, but I won't feel much of a personal stake in it. And so it'll be more interesting as an observer right. than anything else. And that's probably
0: how it'll be, because knowing that you're a Colts fan, you really haven't had a stake in the matter. <laughs> you know, It's been a long time
1: since the Colts have been in the Super Bowl, right? Do you, do you root for the Lions? Is that who you root for? I mean, I, so, do you have any grounds to uh, to speak to this issue? I, I do. I really. I, <laughs> I'm, I'm, a,
0: I'm a diehard Detroit Lions fan, but I'm also a diehard Pittsburgh Steelers fan, and
1: I think they do have what, six Super Bowls. See, the, those are the kinds of people that I just have a hard time talking to, who have multiple teams, who just somehow luxuriously latch on to one that's always good and forget the one that's always bad. It just gives you sort of something to comfort yourself in the dark of night and for true fans like me, you know, who are Colts fan and you've always been a Colts fan, then uh, my team's bad. I can live with it. I just have to deal with it. But you yeah. know, for you, you can always say, "Well, maybe the Steelers will be good this year." Well, yeah, I just can't. I can't really understand that approach. So,
0: and I know you're. I know you're having fun with that because you know I did live in Pittsburgh longer than any place I lived in, in, in my life. So it's not like I just picked a. a Um, a winner which they are but i i picked the team that i lived in their city for 15 years so i can understand that to a point thank you only to a point though so well let's let's switch a little bit to a little more um serious topic i'm really interested in knowing how a biblical worldview shapes your political commentary and your political thought
1: uh i mean it it this, it's a hard question, not because I can't answer it, but it's a, it's a delicate question in the sense that it has everything to do with what I see about politics. At the same time, sometimes it has nothing to do, mm-hmm. and so you have to be careful about what you're talking about. So when I think of the fundamentals of government, when I think of why government exists, where it comes from, when I think of what it's obligated to do, how I'm supposed to understand and interact with that government, those things come from a purely, I hope, biblical perspective. So when I think about how I should think of Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton or Bernie Sanders or whoever, there's a certain level of respect I should have, Correct. for example. For the, the Bible. Yeah, the Bible calls me to that kind of respect uh, to the leader. Correct. Right? right. But when I think of Donald Trump as a political figure that I'm analyzing – my biblical worldview doesn't necessarily speak to how I see him functioning uh, in every situation. So, if a media outlet's asking me, "Hey, what do you think about uh, Donald Trump as a historical figure, or anything about this policy?" I got to be careful that I'm. I, I have to be careful that I'm trying to do it objectively and detached in a way. Uh, my opinions are certainly going to be informed by a biblical view of the world, uh, but I'm trying to give people just sort of an honest. Straightforward answer, and so there's no conflict necessarily between a biblical worldview and that. But the biblical worldview doesn't define, for example, how I should view tax rates, right? Or how I should view a vice presidential selection. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so you have to be careful that you don't uh, confuse those things. And I think because I think if you get them confused, you can end up in pretty bad spots. Okay,
0: I, I'm intrigued. Uh, you know, we've gone to a lot of interviews together in the last yep. six years, and I've, I've had some media who have used you regularly say that they like using you because you're, you're you're straight down the line, and some of those media think you're a Republican, and some of
1: those media think you're a Democrat. So I, th- I think that means you're doing your job, right? I think so. I hope so. I mean, I'm not—and again, I don't—it isn't to be moderate, and that's not what you're saying. I'm not no. there to be moderate or independent. It's no. there to try to tell the truth. Right. And— so I'm trying to be truthful and give a perspective on what I'm seeing and I'm not trying to support one side or the other or one candidate or the other. I'm just trying to be as honest as I can be as I, as I do it. And so to me, that will make me sometimes sound like a liberal, sometimes like a conservative because people think when you talk a certain way, that that's just naturally what you are. Right. But if you're going to be fair and if you're trying to put people in a historical context or a political context, then it's going to sound confusing to people who only see politics from a purely partisan or ideological perspective. So no, I I think that is a compliment Um, to me as a, as an analyst, you should be that way,
0: right? You're really not there to be a cheerleader. No. And that's lost. It seems like in today's journalism that you, that you watch on TV, you can't watch cable TV and get a fair and balanced report from any outlet. That's that's probably true. And um, I mean, there's a scattering of a private fair journalists. So, the fact that you can view a subject and communicate um, objectively is is
1: what are reasons why people want you back. I think so, but that's the difference too between a journalist and an expert. True. Right? So I'm not there. I've even had people email me and call <laughs> me on the phone who don't like what I'm saying, right? Because they say, you know, you're what you're saying damages this person or that person, or how could you think this or that. Well, they can, they're confusing what my role is. They think I'm either there as a partisan or I'm there as a journalist. I'm not, that. I'm there to give objective That's true. Uh, input on what I see as the reality of the situation. Sometimes that sounds good for Republicans. Sometimes it sounds bad, but I'm trying to be truthful. So, but you're right. I mean, journalism has changed pretty dramatically um, during my professional life, during your professional life. Mm-hmm. Um, there used to be sort of an expected code of objectivity connected to journalism whether it's cable television or newspapers or whatever mm-hmm. that's pretty much gone you right. see it in some places you know you look on PBS or NPR they try to be objective they're not always right uh, but now if you watch cable news or whatever it's definitely slanted mm-hmm. and that's part of the part of their sales pitch they're yeah. trying to brand themselves as slanted yeah how how
0: valuable is media interviews that you do and your colleagues here at Cedarville University they they do a lot as well not just in your department but across across campus how valuable do you think media interviews are for you as a person and then also for the university
1: well i think they're valuable they're valuable for the university because i think that they raise our profile in a way that maybe we haven't done before mm-hmm. so uh, we can go into places in Dayton and Columbus or even Chicago or Michigan or Florida
0: Where, or, or Washington
1: the, or wherever yeah. we do interviews right. and talk to people who've maybe never heard of Cedarville before and talk to audiences who've never heard of Cedarville before. And that's been, I think, very good for the university. Um, locally, it's been great because I think that it has given us a more of a uh, regional identity in places like Dayton and Columbus that we didn't necessarily have before. Right. So people in Dayton have heard of Cedarville. It's not like we're that far away.
0: No, but to
1: give them sort of a public face on an issue that they're not used to hearing from Cedarville about, I think has been very good. And so uh, we have great contacts because of your hard work primarily in places like Dayton and Columbus. And we just didn't have those historically. So I think it's great for the university. Um, And that's honestly, that's, 95% of why I do it. I don't do it because I enjoy it. I don't do it because it fulfills me. I do it because on the whole, it's good for the university.
0: Yeah, you don't even watch or listen to your
1: recordings, do you? Uh, Never. Never. Why? Never. (laughs) I think it takes a particular kind of personality who wants to watch themselves on television. Sure. Sure. I'm not that kind of personality. So as you and I have talked, if I make a big mistake or if I need to correct something, you'll tell me. Mm -hmm. And I trust that. I don't really want to watch it myself. It's just, it's too easy to be critical of yourself and go, oh, you know, I'm pausing too much or I really bungled that answer or I look fat today or whatever. Who knows what, but if you're critical of yourself, every time you get in front of a camera, if that criticism is at the top of your mind, that's a bad place to be. Right. And if that's, if that's what I'm thinking of, that's not going to be a good interview.
0: No, because you're, you're preoccupied and you're not that's right. focused. That's right. Um, how does the, these interviews
1: help your students?
0: Do you see a benefit to them?
1: Uh, I think it helps them in a couple of ways. One is it certainly keeps me conversant on current events right. so that when we talk in you know, our required course here, Politics and American Culture, for example, the students always have questions about current events. And so this helps me teach from that perspective pretty effectively, I hope. I think that it does help them see that they have professors who are active in the media and who are considered experts and who are respected, um, even outside of the university itself. I think that benefits them, and I think they appreciate it. Sometimes they're uh, intrigued by it. Some of them are probably impressed by it. I'm not sure they should be, but some of them are probably impressed by it. I've occasionally had students watch media things, and that always interests them, I think, when it happens. And you've heard from former students of yours, haven't you? Over the years? Yeah, absolutely. So all across the country. Mm-hmm. I got an email today from a, a former student uh, who heard a thing I just did for World Radio. He was driving in his car in Michigan. Oh, wow. Heard it on the radio, decided to send me an email. So yeah, I hear all the time from former students who've heard or read things, which is good. It's also good, and maybe this is the direction you're going to go. It's good, it's good also because we're a Christian institution to have this kind of media impact, as limited as it is compared to a place like Harvard or Yale or whatever. Right. But to have the kind of impact that we do is really good as a Christian institution. We witness through this process, and I think that's very – it's something that I would have never anticipated, right. but uh, I think that it definitely has an effect. Well, we, we've we had
0: that conversation in several of our trips uh, coming to and from station TV stations. Like, Mark, can you believe this station repeatedly calls us to, to comment on Something, don't they know that we're an evangelical Christian university?
1: <laughs> that happens. I don't, I don't really understand it. I, I, don't, I really can't explain it. And I don't really understand it. Um, the universe, we have lots of universities around us, whether it's in Columbus or Dayton or Ohio, uh, even regionally, nationally that people could talk to, but still they talk to us and I don't always understand that, but it's, it's wonderful, wonderful to have.
0: Do you recall a, a favorite interview uh, or two from your time?
1: Uh, probably probably my favorite uh, interview was with Judy Woodruff on the NewsHour. This is actually predates your time here at CW. I'm offended. But, uh, this was back when John Davis was doing your job. He did a great job. He did do a good job. And John was working hard to get his connections. And this was during a uh, presidential election cycle. And, of course, Ohio is always interesting during those cycles because it's a, a bellwether state, or at least it has been. And NewsHour is one of those kind of brands, those media brands that if you're in the business, you know about, and it's got this long reputation. Uh, Judy Woodruff is a very esteemed television journalist sure in my is. mind, one yeah. of the best that's ever ever been on the medium. I yep. think. Yep. And she came to Ohio to interview people about what's happening in Ohio for primaries and general election, and she came to Cedarville, and. Uh, I remember sitting with her in a classroom trying to be somewhat relaxed and I wasn't real calm. I wasn't on TV very often at that point, hadn't been on that often. And so it was, a it's a, a national network news right. interview, which wasn't all that normal. Still isn't all that normal. No, it's not. And she's also very, uh, very well known, very good at her job. And so it was a very tense few minutes for me. Um, but she was very nice and she was here. She asked great questions. We walked around, she saw the campus. She really liked what she saw here and uh, was really, really pleasant to interact with. And so that was, that was really interesting for me. I got emails and text messages from colleagues in graduate school and former professors and other people who said, Hey, I saw you on, uh, on PBS tonight. And it was That's nothing nice. like that had ever happened to me before. So that was definitely memorable. So in addition
0: to the many media interviews you do, you're also, um,
1: you like to write. You've been pursuing a, a book. Yep. How's that process going? Uh, it's going well. I mean, I've published a good number of things before, but they've always been academic journal articles or academic book chapters. This is my first manuscript that I'm trying to publish all by myself as an author. Uh, it's going well. It's going, uh, publishing in this day and age is a complicated process, especially if you're trying to get with a big, a big press. Mm-hmm. I don't have an agent. If any agents are out there listening, they want to represent me, then feel free to sit. How me can they, how can they reach you? Uh, they could certainly reach me by email at mcsmith at at Cedarville.edu where they could reach you. I'm uh-huh. sure as well. Sure. Um, but I've been working with a couple of publishers and all the pub- the publishers I've worked with are very interested in the book. There are timing issues with it because it's a political book, and they're trying to figure out if it needs to sequence with an election cycle. And these things can take a year or two to get processed and marketed and everything. So it's going well. I mean, I think I think it has the potential to be a good book and maybe to leave a little bit of a mark, but who knows? So, but the book the book is basically about how I think we as believers should function in the political world. It's called Salt Light in Politics. At this point, it's called Salt Light. And At in this Pop- point, that's what it's called. That's correct. But if you get a publisher. Uh They may change it. Yeah. The problem that I'm actually running into with the book is that it doesn't inflame enough people from what publishers tell me. They really like it. They say it's well-written. It's good stuff, uh, potentially valuable. But a lot of political writing today really targets right or left and tries to inflame the right or the left. And you sell books by being inflammatory. Right. Well, I I think as a believer, we're not called to be inflammatory. And so you have sort of this interesting position to be in.
0: So yeah, that's true. Um, well, I hope you uh, hope that book deal comes soon because uh, you you do have uh, good stuff in there. You let me see some of the manuscript, mm-hmm. and um, it's really good stuff. Uh, as we transition now toward uh, the end of the podcast, um, I'm I'm interested. I should paint this picture for our, our listeners. Now, when Doctor Smith does interviews, it doesn't really matter what medium he's doing with. He typically, except for today's podcast, he typically wears a, a bow tie. Where did the bow tie idea come from?
1: Uh, when I was in college, <clears throat> I was going to a junior, senior, formal, like not quite formal, but you know, a, 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 an event, decided to, that I would try to wear a bow tie. I'd never worn one before. Had always kind of thought about wearing one before and decided I was going to take the plunge. And do the bow tie. Mm -hmm. You know, I was obviously a fairly uh, nerdy, political kind of person. And bow ties have been associated with those people historically. Right. So people like George Will and other people have worn bow ties. And so I'm sure that's part of what I was sort of leaning into. Uh, And back when I did that, which makes me sound old and decrepit, but that's the way it goes, I suppose. uh, Bow ties, almost no one wore them. They were just very... Out of the mainstream completely, so I wore one then on that day, and then I would occasionally wear them, kind of fifty-fifty. And over the next three or four years, I pretty much went full bow tie. And you, you tie your own? Yeah, I do tie my own. Um, if you're not tying your bow tie, it's a costume. That's what I say. So if it's if it's something that you can just latch, then that's not uh, what I think of as a bow tie. Right. I, I'm very, <laughs> I'm a bit snotty about it. I understand that. I've noticed that. Um, have you also noticed, um, that you kind of set a trend here on campus
0: because I see more and more people wearing bow ties. I saw Dr. White, he wears a bow tie from time to time. He
1: does, but I'm not, I'm not going to take credit for Dr. White's fashion choices. Uh, you bow ties have gotten a little more popular over the last five or six years. And I, I, would say I predated that popularity. So how do you balance your time as
0: a professor, as a department head, as a media expert and as a family man, because you have a lot of things going on. You have a lot of young kids.
1: Yeah. Uh, uh it's, I'd like to tell you that there's some sort of plan in place or there's some sort of uh, schedule that I follow. Uh, but it's pretty much just work and then be with your family as much as you can. And then eventually you'll die. That's kind of my approach to time management. So I don't, I, I don't sleep very much. And sometimes that's a problem. Um, and I just work hard and I like to work. It doesn't bother me. You know, I, I like it. And so uh, there is a challenge sometimes with family, especially if you do media things, because it can drag you out during different times of the day. So I try to limit that as much as I can. Uh, but generally, you know, I think uh, it's been hopefully effective on the whole. Yeah. So, I mean, it, I don't have a deliberate plan in place, though. I try to make sure I'm home for dinner if I can be. Try to make sure I'm at my kids' athletic events. Try to coach. I'm even coaching one of them right now. Do you so coach in to, a bow tie? Uh, no, we're not quite that formal. You know, if I were at Duke University or something, I would wear a bow tie. What, what level are you coaching? Fifth grade. Oh, my. It is high stakes. Oh, yeah. yeah it is high stakes. So, yeah. yeah. What, so, no, I mean, I, I think it is a challenge. I can't deny that it's a challenge to balance all that stuff, but it's. Uh, just the way it goes. Yeah.
0: Well, I have two final questions. One's more on the personal
1: side for me, and then one's a
0: professional side. So the personal one is: this. so when, when you're in your office and you see me approaching you, or you see the phone <laughs> ringing and you see it's from me, what's your reaction?
1: Uh, I'm, I'm not going to lie. It's, it's there's a bit of dread. Every time I see that. And it has nothing to do with you personally. Oh, I'm crushed. It's just uh, it. I always know that it means there's something <laughs> I'm going to have to do probably very quickly. So, you know, you're having a relaxing afternoon. You're getting something done. You're right in the middle of writing something. And then all of a sudden you see that text message pop up and you're like, well, there goes the afternoon. So and that's being a little bit dramatic. But, I mean, it. that's the hardest part about doing the media stuff is that if you – if you do it enough then it just pops up at weird times and it really pulls you out of the flow of everything else you try to do so right it's hard to get a block of time if you know you're gonna to have to do an interview in an hour because then you're just worried about okay what do i have to know to do a good job in this interview right. and that's just sort of the way that goes so but i mean it's it's great it's it's great that we're that in demand right but yeah it, it does it doesn't give me always positive feelings <laughs> I'm sorry about that. I'll, I'll start sending a, someone to represent me to see
0: you <laughs> so you don't have that. But That's all right. I just transfer it to that person. That's okay. So, as long yeah. as it's that person. But uh, actually, actually, that speaks to the importance of time management for you, to be able to really take advantage of the time that you're, you have not doing interviews to do whatever you need to do.
1: It does. And I think that means sometimes I'm just going to have to unplug and disconnect and do nothing. And you do that. And I do occasionally. I'll tell you, you know what, this week I'm not going to do anything. You've told so. me a lot, a lot lately. <laughs> yeah. It's been very, very common. So, but yeah, occasionally that'll have to happen. And I can't, uh, some people draw energy from that whole process. They really enjoy getting to meet new people or getting to be on TV or whatever. And that gives them energy for me. It's exhausting. So it's a, I have to occasionally say that's it. I'm done. I, I got to recover. That's the introvert in you. Yeah, absolutely. And it's
0: understandable. So, yeah. well, the the final question I ask everyone is, you know, what's your most memorable event or most favorite memory from your time at Cedarville University?
1: I don't know if I can isolate it to just one thing necessarily to say this was my favorite moment or this is something that's most memorable to me. Uh, but I I think the be, the best thing about being at Cedarville on the whole is that we have students who are actually a pleasure, pleasure to teach. Okay. And so for me, the most rewarding thing about my job is that I really feel like that when I teach, I'm doing what God's called me to do and that I can do it in a place like Cedarville. You know, it's a blessing. So, uh, it's, I can't conceive of being or teaching elsewhere. Good. So I'm, yeah, I'm happy where I am. So now I can't,
0: well, uh, I, I'm sure you do a good job, Ed. I know you do a great job of doing media interviews uh, based on the feedback that we get. Uh, when uh, you go into a, a local TV station, WDTN is what I'm thinking of, when they refer you to uh, the bow tie, um, you know they love you and
1: respect you, and uh, thanks for doing all that work for us. Uh, I was going to say it's my pleasure. It's not quite my pleasure. It's, it's fun. It's interesting in its own way. Uh, But it's been, it's been quite a thing to behold. I've enjoyed it on the whole. Great. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Cedarville Stories podcast brought to you by Cedarville University. If you were encouraged by today's episode, share it with a friend. Please rate and review this podcast on your favorite podcast provider and connect with us at Cedarville on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And be sure to come back next week when we'll hear another inspiring Cedarville story for God's glory.